0: You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. my name is Dan Chapin. I'm a teaching pastor here at Crossroads, and our mission is to lead everyone to discover Jesus and to follow him fully. We believe every person should have a one, one person in their life that they're sharing Jesus with, inviting them to church so that they can learn who Jesus is, discover who he is, follow him fully with their lives, and lead others to do the very same thing. And a special shout out to you guys online. So glad you can be joining us here today. Well, uh, I think it's safe to say we are allowed to have Christmas decorations out. Am I right? Am I right? That's right. I know there's a little bit of a debate about when we have Christmas decorations up. Uh, I know for some of you, some of you are the interesting ones. You are the ones with a special sense of love for Christmas. When Halloween hit, you kick the kids out the door, you grab the tree down from the rafters, you grab those old Christmas lights out, and even those free ones you got from your neighbors, and you just start putting them up right then and there. And all I have to say to you is... No, 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 no. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Well, at least that's what I thought until I actually came across this research. Uh, A staff member pointed this out to me. New research in the Journal of Environmental Psychology finds that people who put up their Christmas decorations early tend to be happier and friendlier. Psychologists say, (laughs) okay, we know who you are. Uh, Psychologists say... So Psychologists say that Christmas decorations are nostalgic and bring people back to simpler and happier times, at least mentally. Uh, they also boost dopamine, the feel-good hormone. And uh, all I have to say to that, I don't know if I could really put words to it, so instead, I just feel this way. This is how I feel about that. <laughs> That's right. That's really kind of frustrating. Uh, but have you ever noticed how obsessed our culture can be when it comes to happiness. Uh, according to a Berkeley study that was done uh, a few years ago, that people are ideally pursuing an 8 out of 10 on the happiness scale. I don't know what takes happiness out of life more than realizing scientists are judging our scale of happiness. Like, that's kind of weird. But uh, ideally, they say that you should be pursuing an 8 out of 10 on the happiness scale. And those who are pursuing a 10 out of 10 on the happiness scale. Uh, They tend to be ignoring reality, they tend to live a life that is a little bit more of a mess, and they're kind of clueless to the whole thing. And the study actually says this, Uh, my colleagues and I are building on this research which suggests that the pursuit of happiness is also associated with serious mental health problems, such as depression and bipolar disorder. Uh, Guys, don't nudge your wife, okay? Uh, I may be, it may be that striving for happiness is actually driving some of us crazy. Another study that was done by James Oldner and Peter Milner, uh, we have a picture of them right here, they did a study on some rats where they did a surgery and they implanted an electrode in a particular part of the brain of a rat that uh, stimulated pleasure, and so, what happened is they started off the study that every time that the rat went to, to a corner of the cage, they pressed the lever and it stimulated pleasure in the animal. And what ended up happening is the rat would run from one corner of the cage to the other to so eventually it got so tired they would die. Uh, they decided to switch up the study. And they decided that they were going to insert a lever into the cage. Uh, This time, and as they were experiencing the pleasure from pressing that lever, what they found is that the rats actually just were so focused on on pressing the lever that they started to ignore eating. They started to ignore drinking, and they even ignored mating. They their lives eventually were so focused on pressing that lever to experience the pleasure in, in their brains that they would eventually die. Well, they decided to actually change up the study once again. Now, this study was done in the 1950s, so I'm about ready to tell you. It's probably questionable by, by today's standards. Um, but what they did is they inserted electrodes into the brains of human beings. And they conducted the study. They did the surgery, and they sent people home with a button. And uh, this is actually facing the wrong way. There we go. And as they decided to uh, put, give the power of the button to the person where they can control how much the pleasure centers are being stimulated by the electrodes. Well, it was not only, and it was not very long, maybe about a day or two, as the people were pressing the button, they experienced the same problems that the rats did. They weren't eating, they weren't drinking water, they were ignoring their families entirely. And it only took a couple of days before the family members decided to reach out to the scientists and the researchers and say, you got to get this electrode out of my family members' brain because they are a shell of their former selves. The people were pressing the button so frequently that it actually started to rub their fingers raw. That's how much they just kept on pressing that button. There's a lot of things in our life that can make us a mess. The last thing that we expect to make our lives a complete mess is pressing the button of happiness. We go to things all the time hoping that that thing will give us more and more degrees of happiness. But in reality, as we keep on going to that button of happiness, the problem is when that is our number one pursuit in life, it creates a complete mess of our lives. So what do we do? What is the solution when we have this mess that can come about of our lives as we pursue happiness? Because a lot of us like to think that we can have, we can have happiness as a motivation, as a, as a key factor in how we decide and make decisions. So maybe you've told your kids, you know what, I just want you to do what makes you happy. Or, or we say things like, you know what, I want, as long as you're happy, then I'm going to be happy. Happiness, if you think about it, in one sense has become a lot easier. Through screens, technology, uh, through the wealth that has come to uh, America, happiness seems to be always at our fingertips. But at the same time, it seems even more distant than it ever has been before. We have access to so many things that give us that instant gratification, that little dopamine kick, and causing us to be, and it's all causing us to become more and more addicted to the pursuit <laughs> of happiness while every step we take closer to what we think makes us happy, in the end makes us less happy. The type of pleasure that, that our culture is driving us to have ultimately leads us to experiencing more of a mess in our lives. Instead, previous generations, they measured happiness a little bit differently than we do today. They measured happ- happiness not as a, like an individual pursuit, but more as a corporate pursuit. It was more about how we could uh, provide a home that our family could live under, that we could have a job for 30 years and be able to uh, take care of our family and our kids. And, and happiness became more of a pursuit of making other people happy. And it was a different type of happiness that existed as long as we grew up in the same town and went to the same denominational church, and we all uh, were able to get that same job, and maybe even pass on that job or business to our kids, then that was what was going to bring happiness to us. But today, we have created a mess of our drive to get happiness. We have created such a mess that that we are starting to ruin our lives. So how do we get out of this happy mess? How do we get out of this mess that we've created when it comes to happiness? How do we we live a life that is more than just getting happy as quick as humanly possible? How do we live a life that goes beyond just a moment of pleasure that might create a lasting mess of our lives? Well, what I love about the Bible is how ridiculously practical it is, and it actually has a lot to speak to us today about pursuing something more than just happiness, The Apostle Paul was a missionary uh, to a lot of different churches uh, 2,000 plus years ago. And he was considered and is considered one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. And he would go around from town to town uh, telling people about Jesus, planting churches, building a team, empowering them to lead that church, and then moving on to another city. His process usually took about two years. And as he was starting to do this, one of the things that started to come about is that he had some struggles with finances because his life was dedicated to the pursuit of building God's church. And at the end of Philippians, uh, Paul is addressing an incredible moment of generosity that the Philippians have towards him. And he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, That at last, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had an opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul is talking to the Philippians. And one of the things that not many people know about Paul is he's also a a tent maker by trade. So as he would go around from town to town, city to city, starting and planting churches, he would also make tents, sell them, repair tents that were broken. And you can imagine a side gig like that had a lot of ups and downs to it. But with a life like that, Paul says he's learned something very powerful. He's learned the secret to contentment. And what is, a set? what is contentment? What is contentment? Well, contentment is being joyful and consistently satisfied. Joyful and consistently satisfied, even when your circumstances are hard or, or just not ideal. Happiness is quickly gained and quickly lost. But contentment, contentment is consistent joy despite difficult circumstances. And a lack of contentment, really, it wants you, a lack of contentment makes you want more than what you have. And it causes you to really kind of not like the very little that you have. Like, you just got that new phone, but guess what's coming out in two weeks? The newest version of that phone, right? You just got a promotion at work? Ah, but that next promotion is the one you're really focused on. Uh, You got more playing time on the team, but you're still not a starter. You have a good home, but your home is just not as big as your sister's home. A lack of contentment is always a struggle. It's always a struggle, and it drives us to have a mess of our lives. Uh, the YouTuber, Mr. Beast, uh, is, one of, is the most subscribed YouTuber on YouTube. And the New York Times listed him back in 2022 as one of the top 100 influential people on the planet. Uh, he is estimated to be worth over half a billion dollars. And get this, he's only 25 years of age. Like, I don't know what other ceiling he's going to be able to go through, but um, he was on the Joe Rogan po- uh, podcast a while ago, and Joe Rogan was asking him his question. He asked, okay, so you invest money back into the community and into your YouTube channel. You don't go crazy by like buy a Ferrari or anything nuts like that. And this is what Mr. B says is no. I think living your life chasing a nicer and nicer car and a bigger and bigger box to live in is kind of a dumb way to go about life. Funny enough, I I lived in like a super below average home and I kind of learned why famous people don't live in below average average homes because someone broke into my home and stole everything. So sadly, I had to get a nicer house. Listen to that. Sadly, 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 I had to get a nicer house for security reasons. But before I was robbed, I lived in a little duplex, $700 a month, got a roommate, and did a 360 split, and then I just drive a normal car. Like so interesting. His life is not about the acquiring of more stuff. It seems like his life is filled with contentment. But if you dig a little deeper into his life, He's not very content with being an average YouTuber. If you've watched any of his interviews, you'd recognize that this guy is obsessed with being the best and always being the best and just making better and better YouTube videos. While he might have contentment with wealth, his contentment is not found in his achievement. That is what's driving him, the achievement for bigger and better success. Well, he doesn't seem to struggle with contentment. He does struggle with the drive for achievement. But there's more to contentment than just not wanting more stuff. There's a spiritual element to contentment that we got to be careful we're not missing. Paul says, he says this in that Philippians passage. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Paul gives two examples. He says, hey, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a ton, and man, I know what it's like to not have much at all. And what he's not saying is that, you know, life and contentment is found. Once you get all the stuff, then you're going to be happy. He's not saying that. And he's not saying, too, that life, when you have all the stuff and you give it all the way, that's what's going to give you contentment. Paul's not saying that at all. He's saying that he's found something greater. Paul recognizing, recognizes that uh, the battle for contentment is not fought when you have too much And it's definitely not fought when you have too little. The battle for contentment is actually fought all the time. It's always a battle. The battle for contentment is a struggle. Yet, hey, Paul is saying here, he's found a secret. He's found a secret to contentment. And he says the secret to contentment is when he realizes that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things. Now, before we jump on from this passage, I wanna make sure we address kind of like how people might take this out of context. Because if we're not careful, this can really become like this banner passage that we say, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? So we can uh, go to that class and not study for the task and be like, you know what, I prayed, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right, uh, or I can buy that home even though I really can't afford it because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or I can pray really hard and my wife will become a 49ers fan. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, That just kind of seems impossible to me, you know. Um, But uh, there's more to life than just like saying, okay, Jesus is going to give that to me. That would be totally misreading the point of this passage. It's not any of that. Jesus is not your genie in the bottle. That you can just pray and hope to get whatever you want. And so the heart of what Paul is saying here is that that contentment is only found in our relationship with Jesus. When we know he is all we need, when we know pursuing him is all we could ever hope for, when we know happiness is short, but real joy is found in our relationship with Christ. That is lasting. That is greater in simpler happiness Happiness is not found through the getting more stuff or more experiences or more love from people. Those things can be good, but when we try and find our ultimate happiness in them, they come up short. They come up lacking because we were never meant to experience a life where those things are fulfilled. We can fight the happy mess with contentment through Jesus. We can fight the happy mess with contentment ...through Jesus. Our relationship with happiness... ...will always be lacking... ...if we believe, I need that thing. I need that stuff. I need those people. I need that pay increase. I need that popularity. If we do that... ...and we live in total and complete pursuit... ...of that happiness... ...it's just going to create a mess of our lives. So instead of achieving happiness... ...through our external experiences... We need to receive a stronger happiness that comes from a relationship with Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we experience a greater contentment with Jesus? How are the things that, that are, are, and what are the things that get in the way of that contentment? And what, what should we be going after instead of happiness? I believe part of the answer is found in Psalms 51. Psalms 51, verse 10, it says this, um, it says create in me a pure heart O god and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me from your presence or take your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me what you need to know about this psalm is that it was written by a guy named king david and king david had everything that he could possibly have wanted he had uh, the wealth, he had this success, he was able to get to the throne, he had uh, beautiful wives, uh, but his life was anything but a pursuit after God's own heart. And if you look at kind of the bio of his own life, you'd recognize that, man, he, he, he cheated on his wives, he, he tended to, I don't know how that works, but that's weird, uh, he... He uh, would be, um, uh, he was a warrior that killed many different people. Uh, He committed adultery with Bathsheba, his best friend's wife. And then, once a pregnancy came out of it, he uh, sent his best friend into battle solo to kill him. And then, don't get me even started about how messed up his family was. Like, his family lineage and, like, the story that goes behind that is just a complete mess. Yet, he says something very different. Being known as a man after God's own heart, he says, create in me a clean heart. Even though his life's biography was anything but clean, he says, God created me a clean heart. This word clean is a really interesting word. It was used uh, to describe the the, the, the Levites who were trying to prepare themselves for worship in the temple and even destroys the type of animals that uh, were going to be used for, sacrifice, for sacrifices to God. This word is called tahor. That's the Hebrew word that it is there. And, and David is saying that he longs for more than just stuff to make him happy. He longs for purity. For a spiritual cleanness, not a Mr. Clean, deep clean, right? But for a spiritual cleanness. David is saying that one of the things he longs for in his life is not more money, not more success or achievement that he's known for. What he is longing for is a pure heart. Another way we can put that idea of pursuing a pure heart is he is pursuing holiness, holiness. And holiness is about being set apart. It's about making choices in life that cause us to sin less and then to live more for God. See, what uh, David is saying is that he wants us to replace the pursuit of the happy mess with the pursuit of holiness. Of holiness. And and, and it, as it continues on, that's not the only thing he wants us to do. He's, he also wants us to to pursuit God's presence. It says, do not cast me from your presence. Because a- a- as we look at this idea of what it means to pursue holiness, when we experience a life where we're pursuing sin and not holiness, it can feel like sometimes we're becoming more and more distant from God. I don't know how many people in my life in ministry where someone has told me, you know what, I'm feeling really distant for God. I don't feel like he is close and near to me. How many times, I'll tell you, it's oftentimes connected to an unconfessed sin that's going on in their life. Sin creates, this, creates distance from us and God. It's, it's something that we desire to have, but sin tends to get in the way. And, and also look at what it says here. It says that we should pursue a joy of our salvation. We've, what he's saying is we've got to get back to that first moment of joy when we recognize who Jesus was. When we recognize that Jesus was the Son of God who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and the joy that we can have in life, that's greater than temporary happiness, and is greater than a a temporary pleasure, but instead a joy that can come in recognizing who Christ is and what he did for us. Now you might be thinking to yourself, ooh, pursuing a life of like like holiness, like that sounds that sounds kind of lame, Dan. I'm just going to be real. Like, let's be real like sin is fun. If you're doing it right, sin is a lot of fun, okay? Let's just be honest. I realize I'm a pastor and saying that might be a little weird, but sin, if you're doing it right, can be kind of fun. I mean, we want to enjoy that fling, right? We want to like cheat a little at school. We want to talk trash on social media about your boss because it makes us feel so good. But instead of giving into those cravings, but God says a better way to live, one that doesn't create a mess, but instead leads us to greater joy, is when we pursuit, or when we replace the pursuit of the happy mess with true joy. The true joy that is found in simply recognizing that Jesus saved us, that Jesus saved those who put their faith in Him from that pursuit of the happy mess. The psalmist line of thought goes throughout this passage. Hey, I need a pure heart. I recognize I'm distant. I recognize I need to get back to that basic joy I had when I gave my life to God. And then he's also saying that as a result of the, all that, he's going to sustain me. He will be the center of my life. He will be the center of my joy. He'll be the center of my hope. He will be my real satisfaction. Well, the psalmist is challenging us with today is that a that a life pursuing the thrills of happiness will never lead to contentment instead the passage pushes us it kind of tells us to think a little bit differently it challenges us to think beyond the offshoot of happiness and pleasure and discover something different to find the root of where happiness comes from which is ultimately found in jesus but what if we do what do we do if we don't pursue this life of who Christ is, of, of living a holy life, of living a life that, that moves away the busy craziness things that can happen in this world and pursues arresting and recognizing his presence where we take a joy in our salvation rather than resenting it and the fun that we feel like we can't have as a result of it. How do we live? Why does that cause us to live so much differently? And what if we don't pursue that? Uh, as a student ministries pastor years ago, uh, I would usually incorporate a moment of confession into the camps that I would lead. So I'd have our students uh, during one of the sessions uh, when we we're having worship, I would have the worship going on and I would have leaders surround the students and I would offer an opportunity for students to confess something that they're going through to one of their like cabin leaders or one of their, uh, their leaders that they trust. And so I remember one year particularly, I had this freshman student who came up to me. And I could see the tears coming down his face. And I could see, like, he was just so worried and fearful. And as he he came to me, he shared to me what was going on. And he said, I just don't feel close to God. I feel like he's distant. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. But I just don't feel like he's close. And so kind of feeling a prompting from the Holy Spirit, I just kind of asked him, is there any area of your life where you have unconfessed sin? And he kind of looked up at me with tears coming down his face, and he started to confess to me about a pornography addiction that he had. And so as we talked about it a little bit, uh, it kind of became his accountability partner, and and that lasted for about two weeks, and, and I really didn't see him the rest of the year until the next camp. And I saw him for about three or four more years, just coming around at each camp, not really being engaged at the church at all. And then he eventually became a super senior, which is what we like to call people who have graduated but still go to camp. And when he was a super senior, we had the same thing happen. We had worship going on, we had the leaders surround them, and they had an opportunity to confess their sins. And that same student, four years later, came up to me. He said, Dan, I don't feel close to God. And I asked the same question. I said, is there any area of of your life where sin is winning? And he said, yes. He he mentioned the pornography addiction again. But also also recognizing God's prompting, I pushed in a little further and I asked, is that all? And what ended up happening was this wave of confession of his sin, of what was going on that became so destructive over those four years where the pornography addiction was getting so out of control, serious intervention was needing to take place. The struggle that we all have, As this student was pursuing this pornography addiction, as he was pursuing a life of going after every little kick of dopamine, every little kick of pleasure, every little kick of things that he thought was going to bring him happiness, ultimately brought his life to a point that became a mess. And he, because he wasn't pursuing holiness, because he wasn't pursuing a life set apart, he wasn't recognizing God's presence in his life. And he wasn't taking joy in that Jesus died on the cross and saved him from a life of that mess. Instead, he was resenting it or using it as a blank check to do whatever he wanted in his life. Sin and temptations are often veiled in hope for happiness. They're veiled in a hope for happiness. So we choose temporary little happinesses and and, and little things that we feel like will give us that kick of happiness. So we go back to the button. We go back to those little moments of pleasure. We're so frustrated with our spouse or our our wife or our husband that we use abusive language to get them to do exactly what we want them to do in hopes that they will somehow feed our own egos. And we love the power kick that comes from that. And we just keep on pressing the button. Or maybe you love the, 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 the happiness that comes from getting that next promotion or going to the next level at work or on the sports team. And you keep on working harder and harder and then you get that achievement. But what you realize is you're just pressing the button. And maybe you're ignoring your family. You're ignoring the people that you love most in the attempt to get to that next level of happiness. Or maybe you're at home and you're not happy with your spouse and what you recognize is that you get a lot of great attention from people at work and so you start to be a little bit more flirtatious, you start to be a little bit more loose with your behavior and then all of a sudden a friendship turns into more than a friendship, turns into an emotional affair, turns into a full-blown affair. But you do it because you just want to keep pressing that button. We just want to keep on doing what makes you happy. Or maybe you've recognized that as an older single adult, life just is getting really frustrated and angry. And rather than facing the problems that you know you should be facing, you instead are going to maybe weed or going to the bottle. Your family doesn't even recognize who you are anymore. And they're tired. And they're telling you, we can't See you live your life like this. You just keep on going back to the button. And even your doctor is starting to warn you that if you continue in the alcoholism, it it will eventually take your life, but you keep going back to the button. You see, if we're not careful, the pursuit of happiness just turns our lives into a mess because we have decided to not find our ultimate contentment Jesus, because we have decided to pursue a life where we don't care about holiness. We don't care about living a life more in line with what God desires for our life. We only care about the next button, the next pleasure that we're willing to pursue. Contentment can only be found through Jesus, can only be found through Jesus. So, how do we get out of this happy mess? How do we get out of this happiness? To get out of the happy mess, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to recognize who he is, taking a joy in our salvation, taking a joy in who Jesus is that he's not wanting to take away our fun, but he's wanting to give us a life of greater joy, not one filled with temporary happinesses that come and go Quickly, but instead filled with a constant joy that can only be found when we rest in recognizing that contentment through Jesus is a way better way to live than a life pursuit of happiness. So I would encourage you. We have your tag your it moment. The tag your it moment is this. I want you to read Romans chapter twelve, verses one through two. And then I want you to ask yourself, what's one struggle that is getting in the way of pursuing God? And then I also want you to uh, ask this question, how can you go out of your way to bring joy to someone else this week? In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God's drive for our life, God's hope for our life is that it would be driven, not in the pursuit of our own happiness, not in the pursuit of things that make us feel good, but a pursuit of sacrificing our wants and our needs for Jesus, for the greater joy that he can bring as a result as we pursue a life with him. Putting our wants and desires to the side, instead saying, God, I wanna live for you. Happiness will always be messy. But when we're with Jesus, we're gonna walk through some messy times for sure but we're going to experience greater joy and contentment through it. So which life do you want to live? Do you want to live a life in pursuit of your own pleasure and happiness, which will ultimately bring in more messiness? Or do you want to pursue a life filled with greater joy, filled with a joy that can only be found through Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to search deeply in our own hearts for us to ask the question, how do you want us to live? Do you want us to live a life in pursuit of our own pleasure, in pursuit of our own happiness? Or do you want us to live for a life greater than ourselves, greater than the pursuit of what makes us feel good. God, I pray that that if there's someone struggling in here today with the pursuit of happiness, God, I pray that you would help them to give it over to you, that you would help them to give over their lives to a greater sense of contentment that they can only have through Jesus. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need you. And Lord, we recognize that we need you. And that's why you sent your son Jesus into this world to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we may live a life with you. And Lord, we take communion recognizing that we can't do this on our own. We need your finished work on the cross so that the life of happiness would not be what